Hey everybody, welcome in to the Horseshoe, Ohio State 45, Arkansas State 12. It is Snap Judgments brought to you by the podcast and Driving the Eyes. We're going to dive right into it and the best way we can. We're going to get out of the wind. It's also full disclosure, take two for Snappy Jays this week. We're trying to work through the audio for you people in America. That's Bill Landis, Jeremy Birmingham, I am Austin Ward. Kind of a, a strange one where it feels like there's a lot to sort of nitpick for Ohio State. Uh, but they also comfortably won a non-conference pseudo game without a couple of their best players or the best wide receiver available. The passing game was back. Uh, the defense has gone allowed one touchdown in eight quarters. A lot of stuff that seems pretty good. And then also some stuff that maybe uh, you might able to look at and say, this can get a lot better, Bill. Yeah, that was funny. You know, it's a, it's a week two game against a team that you were a 40-point favorite over for a reason. Uh, it was dead here compared, compared, compared to last week, which is like understandable. No one expects it to be the same way it was uh, when the number five team in the country comes in here. But uh, I think you kind of felt that maybe holding the thing back a little bit, just not a, not a whole lot of energy throughout the game. But it was it was a little clunky. But I, I also felt, too, there were some things that from last week you wouldn't see get a little better, probably the passing game, more explosion out of the passing game being one of them. Uh, and that certainly happened. And I thought the defense looked pretty good. Like, like as you said, one touchdown in eight quarters. I don't really know what you're supposed to nip in with that. Yeah, you're going to want a lot of games on that. Yeah, especially when you think about the fact that at least two of the field goal drives were pretty much given to Arkansas State by Ohio State penalties. Uh, I've never heard of jumping over the punt with the punt. Oh, the, uh, the shield. The punt shield. Like, number one, Taraji Mitchell didn't jump over them. He jumped into them and they kind of threw over them. Um, but who cares about that? The Mecca rules are rules, man. The Mecca returns a punt for a touchdown. And it gets called back uh, for two penalties on the play. And that's just sort of the sort of way that they went. Like, you have these moments where you're like, wow, that looks like the Ohio State you come loose back. And then something really just clunky happens. And you go, wow, that doesn't make any sense. Why does the offensive line let I mean, CJ Stroud, I think that in the second quarter of the game, Ohio State, like, had all the momentum in the world, and they have this three and out. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It was an ugly three and out, and it was just a little disjointed. And, as you said, like when you're playing a team like this, you're a huge favorite for a reason. And I think it's easy to understand for if you look at the 95,000, however many people were here, they all sort of took. I thought I believe it was over a hundred thousand. Oh sure, you disputing that? It took a little bit of time for right, people to realize there was a game going on, and I think to the credit of the Ohio State players, they came out with some intensity and then scored immediately. And we thought this is going to be pretty easy, and I think from that point. It's just about managing egos and managing, you know, emotion. And they didn't do a very good job with that throughout the first half. There, there was a stretch, like mid-game, where I want to say the offense, I think ran 20 plays, had three touchdowns in three months. <laughs> it like, feels like it shouldn't be possible. Yeah. Uh, maybe my math is slightly off on there, but I don't think I've ever seen that before. I think you said at one point, like, 31 plays and 31 points. It's generally what you would feel pretty good about, and I'm not sure the Ohio State did. Um, no, but they won comfortably, as they were supposed to. Uh, we'll start again where we did last week with injury updates. Third quarter, Mike Hall, scary situation there for Ohio State. He's been one of their best, if not the best, I guess there's an argument to be made. Uh, there, at least on the defensive line, he's been a wrecking ball. Five tackles for loss in two games and has becoming a star. And he's laying on the turf and it looked like a left shoulder issue. He came off, walked on his own to the sideline, they took off the pads and checked that out, evaluated him. Brian Day said after the game, 
Uh, not expected to be a long-term issue. Of course, they're going to evaluate him much the same way that they did uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming over the last week. Both of those wide receivers came out beforehand to, to give it a test. They did not come in with the rest of the team. I think it was pretty clear at that point that they were not going to be able to play. Uh, just try to you know, rehab a little bit and stay fresh and get ready for next week. Uh, there's optimism that both of those guys could be ready by then. Uh, and Jordan Hancock, another one that I think we'll talk a lot, a good amount about, uh, because if there was an area where, uh, speaking only for myself, that I would nitpick, uh, Denzel Burke struggled early. Coaching staff seemed to agree with that. He had those two pass interferences. Uh, he got burned for a deep ball down the right sideline in the seventh quarter, and they put uh, J.K. Johnson into the game. I think you know there were a lot of expectations for Denzel Burke, and um, so far it hasn't quite lived up to that. And to at least to Ohio State's credit, they're not just letting that, those situations fester maybe way they haven't passed. It does feel like I mean neither one of these two teams they played have been prolific passing teams, but it does feel like that when they wanted to throw the ball. They've kind of gone Denzel's way as opposed to going Cameron Brown's way, uh, which says one about Cameron Brown. I think people respect him, but two, maybe there's a vulnerability there that people sense with. But Denzel, I suppose you have to pick one, um, <laughs> and, and Denzel's the younger guy. But yeah, just not a, not a great start to the season for him. Not to say he can't bounce back. Um, the penalties, I think, are really the biggest thing. If he gets beat, like corners get beat from time to time. You don't like it when it happens, when it happens. Uh, you can't be grabbing guys as much as, as much as he is for a guy who's played as much as he has at this point. And you can't let one penalty lead immediately to the next play getting burnt and then the penalty after that. Like playing quarterback, you have to have that short attention, short memory, I guess. And I think that this actually goes back to last year's Michigan game for Denzel, a little bit maybe to the Michigan State game when he hurt his shoulder last year and he didn't play the end of last year 100%. And he just doesn't look like the same player to me that he did at uh, this part of the season last year. But whatever the reason is, they're in a defense that's given up one touchdown in the first eight weeks, there's going to be a, a weak spot. And right now, I think that is clearly one of the weak spots. And we saw J.K. Johnson get a lot of playing time today. Jordan Hancock has to get back because we talked all preseason about cornerback depth as a potential uh, you know, area of concern. Now it looks like it is a real area of concern because Cam Brown, thankfully, he's healthy in these first two games, but it's not like this is a, a kid that's been able to be counted on through his career. So in the event that something else shakes out, like boy oh boy, now all of a sudden you're looking a little a little sus. A little sus. A little sus. I'm sure there are a lot of words out here today. Uh, great that's uh, great footage on Tell the Pitch today. Um, the other part about this that's relevant when it comes to personnel and injuries with that Mike Hall situation is that he is clearly uh, elevating his game to a different level and taking the, the rest of your Ohio State defense with him. I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, and I'm saying this after both of these games and all a lot of the podcast content throughout the week, but you know the substitutions, I, I understand the counter-argument that you want to have a fresh player in the fourth quarter, and they, that's when it matters most, but you know the, every snap matters. Right. Uh, all snaps, I can finish, dictate the outcome, and Ohio State had a chance to put this game away earlier. The best-case scenario is that you don't need my call in the fourth quarter. If you put this game away in the first half, you might not have been out there in the third quarter when he got injured. Um, you know, that's not, I'm not trying to just cherry pick an argument that helps me, but I, I've talked to multiple former Buckeyes who've been watching this and the way that Mike Hall is playing. They do not understand. So Mike Hall is clearly the most impactful defensive tackle that Ohio State has. He needs to be out there until he can't breathe. Let them go out. Like, that's the way that they feel. I know that that's maybe an old school mentality and 
get off my lawn or whatever, but I just, you can see that Ohio State is not the same defense when Mike Ball is out there. Rotating players is great. It's a luxury that Ohio State has that a lot of programs don't. There have been times in the past, and I feel this way now, where I feel like they've done it just because they think they can do it. But when there's a drop ball, I just don't think you should do it. It's great, you're right. If you could have Mike Hall fresh at the end of the game, that would be fantastic. But if the trade-off is in the middle of the game, you're not as good, uh, I don't know that I take that trade-off. And yeah. Mike Young, excuse me, Mike Hall's a, a younger player, doesn't have a lot of, of, of trail and tires just yet. I think he can probably handle, handle a bigger workload. Um, it's not that the defense is getting you know moved around and giving up a ton of points, but there is a tangible difference when that guy's not on the field, when JT to all about not on the field. Like, I think these top guys just need to play more. Yeah, and you're removing the guy that arguably is playing better than anybody on the defensive line, but is also the spark plug of the defensive unit in general. So when you take him off the field because you're trying to get other guys these reps, I, again, as I said, I understand why you do it. You're trying to manage egos. You're trying to keep people fresh. You're trying to, you know, Experiment with stuff, but I, I just would rather experiment when you're up 56 to nothing mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to when it's, I mean, 17 to 9 with six minutes to go in the, in the second quarter. You walk around the field, like, this is a one score game. <laughs> like, it, sort of, and, and you watch you when I stay rotating all these guys, and the difference in productivity, the difference in push from the defensive line is so much different. The difference is so different that it's like, that's the difference is the difference. Yes, I mean, the standard is the standard, and the difference is the difference, and there is a large difference. Okay, um, turns out that the Ohio State passing attack is still pretty good. Marvin Harrison seems all right. Yeah, they got that, that timing thing figured out, I think, between me and, and CJ Shrell. They had like uh, well, five, seven four, catches for 184 and three touchdowns for Marv. Yeah, I think it was like four or five 40 yard pass plays in this game. That was. It was sort of like that or not much, which maybe Ryan Day would not prefer. Even CJ Stroud said after the game, he was, I think, uh, losing losing uh, his patience a little bit with, with the questions about why aren't you perfect yet. Um, but he did say he needs to be a little more efficient, kind of working the shorter stuff in the middle of the field. And that's clear sometimes when you watch it. But uh, they got the, the explosive passing game calibrated in this game uh, when it seemed like a little bit of a struggle last week. Marvin Harrison... Just the second Ohio State player in school history with two games that include three touchdowns. It's difficult for me to get through all those numbers and say it correctly, um, but I'm, I'm practicing. He has two three touchdown games, and only one person's ever done that before. But now there's two. Right. And also in three games, essentially, because he's really only played three games. Well, and Tony Gallon played many more games. He sure did. <laughs> and to borrow a stat from Bill Landis, his last 18 catches, six have gone for touchdowns. That seems, that's that's efficiency right there. You know what I like about Marv, though, is that I know when he goes home tonight and he puts on the tape, he's going to look to the touchdown that he lost, that he should have had. Uh, he's going to be like, why did Burn keep asking me about yeah, I think <laughs> that, that sort of play is like, I'm fascinated by that sort of play just in general because there's such a small space and you catch the ball and you turn. And like, how do you know where to put it out? I mean, it's just bad luck. The guy was, I was 10 yards away from that play. The guy punched the ball perfectly. I still think Martin scored on the play. I still think he had it over the white line, which is very good for, for us if it happens. Um, it do. But, you know, for, for him, that's, that would have been, he would have been the second player to have four touchdowns in the game in the last two years. No, I'm um, You know, but uh, 
I just think it's cool to watch the growth, and I think that Marvin and CJ probably got a little pumped this week, knowing that Jackson wasn't going to be out there, knowing that Julian Fleming probably wouldn't be out there. Maybe you got a few more reps together this week in, in, in preparation for a bigger role, uh, knowing that he would have it. Watching the Burn and Marv show, this game is one of my favorites. <laughs> Burn suggesting that CJ Stroud should not have thrown down into that corner there, a little hole shot. Perfectly Did placed. you see know this guy slipping on the field? Three or four times I watched someone slip. Oh my god, this field stinks. I don't think that this is going to be Oh, so this new field is bad. I, I don't know. It was really similar. I mean, look at the end zone. You know, the paint seems to already be fading on it. I don't understand well, I don't how paint works when it's just paint is like being put on little pebbles. I don't, I don't know how paint works. I don't know magnets. How do they work? Uh, no, Austin's trying to make fun of me because I was a play, and I'm like, I don't know why CJ. I, 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 I think it's rare to have the confidence that he has in himself to throw that ball. Uh, and in Marvin, the guy who, again, has really only played three games in his career, uh, to have a chance to say, hey, go get this, because I'm going to throw it in a spot where I have no business throwing it. You have no business catching it, but if you don't catch it, no one else is either. And I, I guess that's why he's a Heisman candidate quarterback, right? Uh, it was the guy that's great for It was a hell of a throw, and it was a great catch, but like, I, don't, I didn't feel like it was crazy. The safety was coming over. I didn't see it like you guys saw it, so I'm just yeah, saying all 22. Yeah, from my perspective, I was like, well, that is a that is a gutsy throw to make. But well, not a lot of it's a, your point is correct, and not a lot of quarterbacks can do. I don't, I don't think there are many. However, Justin Fields threw like an identical pass to that when they played Rutgers here in 2020 in the empty stadium. And at the time, everyone was like, that's an NFL throw. He's the same dude. He's good. Gotcha. CJ Stroud's good. Marvin Harrison's good. Back at Luca, went over 100 yards as well. He did? Yeah. I don't know. Doubled up. They were, believe, I, believe, I believe it was like, well, it's a weird game. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird Jerry said. I mean, I'm not sure. They were the 198 and 199th 100 yard receiving games in school history. And uh, I don't know how many times it's been done together. 200 coming next week. Okay, it's over. <laughs> it's coming, coming hot. Why do those wheel routes? They're coming. I felt like this was a low key, very nice game. Um, good blocking from G. Scott and Kate Sober on Trivia Anderson's long touchdown run. Kate caught that wheel route, which felt like they were trying to get him a touchdown on Mecca's long touchdown. They kind of switched their routes, and no offense to Kate, for some reason, two Arkansas State defenders <laughs> ran out of him instead of running with Mecca. So Mecca was the one that was wide open instead. But uh, I felt that position at a time when their down receivers in need, um, maybe to play a little more 12 personnel, uh, played pretty well for them. To give uh, a lot of credit there to Josh Proctor for the bounce back. He started and played extensively, played uh, very well. Nothing crazy, flashy, just solid football uh, in the secondary. And coming off of that conversation and being benched after one drive, that wasn't what he wanted, and that was a difficult situation for him. I asked Josh after the game, and I talked talk to his family, I talked to Perry Eliano. I just think young Josh Proctor might not have responded the exact same way that this more mature version, mature, mature, too. Version has after four after four years it has to be mature. Didn't throw any any gloves into the stands and storm off last week for one. Didn't try to strip off his uniform. Didn't strip off his uniform and, and head to the locker room. And he was a professional about it. I think that that's uh, telling, not just for Josh Proctor, but maybe for this you know, chemistry or belief or trust in the coaching staff. However you want to put it, I think that that's notable because he was able to come back and have a great week of practice and contribute uh, for a, a unit that. How would you say it? 
It seems like it's fueled and powered. Powered by, uh, powered by the secondary. Powered by the secondary. Powered by the secondary. Yeah. We have to buy the secondary. It's a safety. It's a safety-driven defense. That's good. Let's go with that. It's a safety-driven. He's a key part of that. Now we'll see if that continues. But but you hit up. You hit the nail right on the head. Like he didn't have. He didn't go out there and make flashy plays. That's not what they need the safety to do. Uh, it, it, it's good to have a safety that can make flashy plays. Malik Hooker uh, made a lot of those <laughs> in this building back in 2015 or 2016. But that's not what you need. You need to make sure the guy running at you doesn't get behind you. Like that's the job of the safety. And so for Josh, sometimes I think there's always been this like I want to hit people and blow them up. And if I if I miss, big deal. Like that, it, it is a big deal, man. Like you can't let the guy get behind you. And I, I think Perry Oliano deserves a ton of credit. We'll see if Tim Walton gets the same effect out of Denzel Burke by pulling him off the field today, like he did that Perry Oliano got out of Josh Parker. Because that, to me, may be the difference between a guy who's been in the program five years and a guy who's been in the program one year and and how they handle that sort of uh, circumstance. Because Perry Oliano is a calm, you know, easygoing guy. Tim Walton was not being called and easygoing by Denzel Burke on the field today. And I, I, I'm curious to see how that translates into this next week of practice. Bill, anything else? Another good game for Jesse Marco. Hmm. It's a pump. I don't, I don't, I, I like, mean that somewhat serious, too. He looked, he looked pretty rough when we were training camp. Yeah, and like, he's been awesome. <laughs> and, and they really needed him last week, and he flipped the field a couple times this week, too. So, good job on him. Perfect. Cabinet with some pumping. Just, just what you'd expect. That's right. On that uh, Oh, we got one. Let's talk about Caden Curry. Okay. Oh, yeah. Caden Curry, uh, I think really, we already did that. Was, was on the field. <laughs> he was on the field for like seven plays and he made like five tackles and he's just a, a dude that people are going to want to watch. I think that when you look at this defense and as it evolves over the next few weeks, how do you find ways to get playmakers on the field and in the in the front seven? Because the back seven, it is, it's about depth and who's, who's healthy, who's not in the front seven. If, if you have to choose between playing Caden Curry, who comes in and makes plays, or other guys that are a little more veteran that are just sort of right now not making plays, I guess I lean towards the guy who makes plays. That's mm-hmm. sort of my, my preference. That's American. Playmakers are better than non playmakers. Yes, if you're going to play football, you should play the guys who make football plays. I believe in this step's willingness to do that a little. I yeah, so more than last year, I, I agree. I think that they will. I don't think they're, this is the staff that's going to play the game and say, "Well, we owe it to this person." I really think it, it's a it's a you know clean slate for everyone. And we saw a kid for uh, flash, and that's what you know. I know this. I've been telling people for a while. I engaged you stuff about Kevin Curry. Curry's really freaking good, man. Like that is a football player. Like that may not look the part. He's only six two and a half. 250 pounds or whatever. It's like uh, John Simon was here today. Uh, and like to me, that's Caden Curry's life down the road. Like, but not a guy. Baby John Simon? Not a guy. Not a baby Not a baby Bosa. So he's a little Nick Bosa. Have you ever seen Nick Bosa? Uh, yeah. My God. Like that is not a normal human being. Okay. That is a, that's an abnormal being. Caden uh, Curry looks more like a human than Nick Bosa, who looks. To be some sort of hybrid left If you're looking for three abnormal beings, look out further. Right here on the podcast, it's been Snap Jug and Snappy James 
coming to you from the press box instead of the field. We tried the other way. It was weedy. We've had a rough week. We were not ready for the dire holes of Arkansas State, but I should have been. But we will uh, go back into the film room. We'll make some corrections and get ready. I can't believe what I'm about to say, but it is a prime time matchup with DOL ADO. Next week, we're going to get ready. We'll have a lot more coverage coming from this win over Arkansas State. Uh, and of course, daily podcasts, uh, the live show at the Horseshoe Lounge, and so much more. Buck IQ, we're going to get back into it as the season rolls along. Ohio State now 2 0, 45 to 12 win over Arkansas State. For Bill Burham, I'm Austin Ward. See you Monday.